I've had a message uh, that God has placed on my heart for some time now, and I've been really trying to find the, the right time to bring this message uh, to the church. And uh, this past week, I was speaking with uh, a mother of a teenager here in our church, and she was telling me about her son's friends when they were little. They'd come over to the house, and they'd play together, and now that these kids are all grown, her son's friends, one of them, uh, started having suicidal thoughts to the point of needing to be hospitalized. And another expressed a desire to uh, shoot up a uh, banquet at school. And uh, you, you wonder what in the world is going on in our society. When people are acting this way, when kids grow up, and they turn out in a way that you just don't expect. I mean, when your child is little, you wonder what your child is going to become. Not just the career that they'll choose, but what kind of person he or she will become. And the farthest thing from anyone's mind is that our child will grow up to become suicidal. I mean, no one, no one thinks that. Or our child will grow up to become addicted to drugs or become a mass shooter. I mean, no, no one thinks that way. But someone's kids are becoming this way. And so why does it seem like our world, and maybe it's just more our nation, is out of control in every single respect? And I'll give you an example. Take, take the recent mass shootings, for example. When you think about it, the people of this country have owned guns since before it was founded in 1776. And some of you remember when certain classes and schools taught responsible gun ownership and even marksmanship. Maybe some of you taught that or took that class. So guns are not a new thing in our society. The question I ask is, why are we having so many mass shootings recently? One guy apparently travels across Texas so he can randomly shoot Hispanics in El Paso. You have another guy who loses his job and then shoots multiple people again at random in Midland, Odessa. There's other mass shootings that we're all aware of in Las Vegas. Orlando, going back some years, Columbine High School, and we could go on and on with quite a list. I want to know why or what could cause these various people with various motivations to think so little of their own life and the lives of others that it becomes almost inconsequential whether they or other people live or die. Is it simply the result of chemical imbalances in the brain? I mean, if that's all it is, will science be able to properly diagnose and then treat the problem someday? Or is there something spiritual going on? Let me take a completely different example. Sexuality. How did homosexuality, as well as its various forms and offshoots, how did it go from being a very minority 
fringe type of lifestyle to becoming widely accepted and then becoming wildly celebrated seemingly overnight. I mean, literally, at the most, within a matter of a decade, this change in perception has taken place in our society. And the flip side of that coin is that evangelical Christianity is now on the brink of becoming a hate crime. Think about it. The one movement that has done more for America and the world than any other, from the establishment of schools and orphanages to the building of hospitals and homeless shelters, this movement, evangelical Christianity, would be outlawed or at least severely restricted if certain LGBT leaders had their way. And this is in spite of the fact that I am unaware of a single instance in American history where Christians murdered homosexuals on their way home from church. To be frank, the principle of love thy neighbor has always been our value, although the LGBT crowd act like they discovered the principle. So my question is, how did the perceptions of these two different movements, homosexuality on one end and evangelical Christianity on the other, how did the perceptions of these movements become so radically changed in such a short amount of time? A sociologist might try to study the various dynamics and create terminology that might describe it. He might write a book that homosexuals are from Pluto and, and Christians are from Mercury and make the TV talk show circuit and make lots of money. But could it be that there's something spiritual going on in our society? The division between evangelicals and homosexuals is but one of many sharp divisions in our country. We have had three consecutive presidents whose detractors have questioned the legitimacy of their presidency. The vitriolic language on both sides of the political aisle leaves no middle ground. And both sides considers the others not just a political opponent, but an enemy to the nation. Every political issue, every single one, is taken to an extreme and there is no room for compromise. And that is why so many contemporary historians have rightly noted that the last time our country was this divided was just prior to the Civil War. So what in the world is going on? I believe that there is something spiritual happening in our society, and I believe I know exactly what it is. Some years ago, at a denominational prayer leaders network, several Christian pastors and leaders were sitting around a breakfast table listening to Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God. He was talking about what it would take for a moral and spiritual revival to take place in our land. And he noted that every great spiritual awakening rediscovered some truth about God that Scripture clearly reveals but had been forgotten over the years. Revivalist John Franklin, who is there, 
simply could not contain his curiosity any longer, and he asked Henry Blackaby, what truth about God has been forgotten today? And with the least, without any hesitation, Henry Blackaby replied, the fear of God. John Franklin went home and began studying every verse in the Bible that mentions the word fear in its various forms. And he concluded that Blackaby was right. In fact, Franklin discovered that the most commonly mentioned deterrence of sin in the Bible is the command to fear God. Let me give you an example. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6 says, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Another scripture, Proverbs 8, 13. We read, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Now, when you look at the problems our society faces and you evaluate the people at the forefront that are moving our society in its downward spiral, you undoubtedly will come to the conclusion that any fear of God is completely absent. In Psalm 36, verse 1, we read, Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. The total absence of the fear of God is, however, only half of the explanation of what is going on in our society. Why only half? Because it only accounts for what humans are doing or really what humans lack. The other half of the explanation of what is going on in our society is God's reaction to our lack of fear of Him. When man does not fear or respect God, then God responds in wrath. Every time we do not fear God, every time we do not respect God, God, God responds in wrath. What we are witnessing in society today is the wrath of God. And I want to explain exactly what the wrath of God is. John Franklin, who I mentioned earlier, also studied all of the times in the Bible where God was said to be judging a people or pouring out his wrath on a people or on a society. And what I'm going to show you today are eight of the most common biblical signs that a society is suffering the wrath of God. And I believe that it will become clear to you that a great preponderance of the evidence will show that we are currently living in a society that is under God's wrath. Biblical sign number one, that a society is suffering the wrath of God. It is the societal breakdown of the family. In Scripture, when a society suffers God's wrath, inevitably, the family structure breaks down. 
And when we talk about the family, we're talking specifically about two things, marriage and parenting. Romans chapter 1, verse 30 says that God gives the wicked over to become, among many other things, disobedient to parents. Parenting is under attack. We have an epidemic in our country of absentee fathers and mothers. The percentage of teenagers living in broken homes is higher than 50%. Teenagers, if your biological parents are married to one another, you are in the minority by a long shot. And you ought to be grateful to your mom and dad for sticking it out because marriage is not easy. It takes a lot of work. Marriage itself has never been more under attack than it is right now. Divorce is widespread. You've heard people say, well, divorce, if 50% of marriage is in divorce, that's technically not true. Among adults who have been married, 33% have been divorced. The number rises because people, once people get divorced and remarried, there's a great chance that they'll be re-divorced, and so they skew the averages sometimes. But among adults who have been married, 33% have been divorced. And our nation has now redefined marriage to include same-sex couples. And anyone, by the way, who disagrees with same-sex marriage, well, they're, they're called names, and they're vilified by the people that want to lecture us about how loving they are. Biblical sign number two, that a society is suffering the wrath of God. There's constant conflict between people. Constant conflict between people. Listen to what scripture says. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 5. And the people will be oppressed, each one by another, and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder, and the inferior against the honorable. I mean, it was just a few months ago that we had an honorable man killed by two young criminals in an alley a few miles from here. This is commonplace in our country. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 10. Thus says the Lord, For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for animal, and for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And God says, and I set all men against another. It is the wrath of God in a society. And listen, if we're not going to fear our creator and judge, then why should he intervene to keep peace between us and our neighbors? Listen, I want you to listen in this description of the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1. Listen to the animosity occurring between people that are under God's wrath. In Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, it says that God gave them over to being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips slanderers, these are all crimes against one another. When we are turned over to the wrath of God, we acted out against one another. Biblical sign number three that a society is suffering the wrath of God. 
that society becomes subjugated to laws and statutes that are harmful to itself. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. Because they had not observed my ordinances, but had rejected my statutes and had profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were on the idols of their fathers, I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not live. We have unelected and unaccountable federal regulators who essentially create their own laws. Even on a local level, special districts and commissions are set up to spend taxpayer money with no direct accountability. You take Article 10 of the U.S. Constitution. It, it says that any and all power should be given to the states and to the people that the Constitution itself does not expressly give to the federal government, but this article is routinely ignored. Additionally, we have congressmen who exempt themselves from the laws that they impose on us, and then we reelect them. You know, most often the wrath of God occurs when God essentially says, okay, have it your way, and we get what we deserve. Biblical sign number four, that a society is suffering the wrath of God, it loses finances. This might be the only one out of the eight that you might be able to make an argument against our society suffering just yet. But I say yet. Haggai chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 scripture says, Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much but harvest little. You eat but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Our economy may be running well right now, but with the $22 trillion debt, that means that each taxpayer, not children, each actual taxpayer owes right now $183,000. We have a big purse with big holes. We are walking toward a financial cliff and while, while our government officials continue to raise the debt ceiling. I mean, only the federal government can create a situation where we fall off a cliff at the same time that we hit a ceiling. I don't know how they do it, but... They can do it. We may not be in financial straits right now, but this is a deck of cards that will someday fall. Biblical sign number five, that a society is suffering the wrath of God. It suffers natural disasters. This is usually the one that everyone thinks about when we talk about the wrath of God. And it is one of eight things that happen. Second uh, Chronicles 7.13. And we always jump to 7.14 because we like it. 
But 7.13, think about what it says. God says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, let's just stop right there. This is God taking an active role against people. A disobedient people. Amos chapter 3 verse 6 says, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? And if a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? In Amos chapter 4 verses 7 and 9, Scripture says, this is God speaking, Furthermore, I withheld the rain from you, while there were still three months until harvest. Then I would send rain on one city, and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on, while the one part would not be rained on. It would dry up. I smote you with, with the scorching wind and with mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. You know, there was a day when our farmers, who, lest we forget, provide our clothing, and our food, there was a day when our farmers would turn to the Lord to request help. But who needs the Lord now when we have the government, right? I mean, who needs the Lord now when we have insurance, right? Or do you not think that God can destroy an insurance company? Do you not think that God can destroy a government? It might do all of us good to call out to the Lord as if our clothing and food depended on it. If we do not, He may very well remove the idols in which we trust. Insurance, 401ks, and government, and all of these other things. Biblical sign number six that a society is suffering the wrath of God. Failure is common and success is unfulfilling. Listen to Micah chapter 6, verse 14. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. And your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. I mean, have you ever had that day where you felt like your best efforts we're simply one setback after another. What if the force that is opposing your best efforts is God? And what if it wasn't just having a bad day? And it wasn't just you, but it was society. You know, regardless of which political party governs in the near future, I believe that their best efforts to stem Random acts of killing is doomed to fail because spiritual problems can only be solved with a spiritual solution. You can play politics all you want. You can pass any law that you want. Last time I checked, murder has been against the law for a very long time. I don't know how many more laws we need. I don't know how many more times we need to make acting with criminality a crime. But... There's something spiritual that needs to happen. Biblical sign number seven that a society is suffering the wrath of God. It is 
turned over to its enemies. Leviticus 26, verse 17. God says, I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. God said that to his people. That he would set his face against them. Judges chapter 2, verses four, verse 14. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. In our country, from the 1950s to the 1980s, the greatest threat and uh, that that we face, the greatest threat to liberty and freedom was communism. More recently, there has been growing another threat, which is Islamic fascism. Both communism and Islamic fascism are a real and present danger to the liberties that we enjoy. And the threat is no longer overseas. It is here. It is in our midst. The seedbed of these destructive ideologies is our universities, where professors and administrators who hate free enterprise and hate freedom of religion are given free reign to seek to destroy our country while claiming their right to do so because of the freedom of speech that our country gives them. The barbarians are not at the gate. They have broken down the walls and they are in the city. Biblical sign number eight, that a society is suffering the wrath of God. And this is the one, this is the only one that is always found anytime God passes judgment against a people. Always, it is this one. Wisdom has been removed from both our people and our leaders. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, and then verse 28. It says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile, in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Job Chapter 12, verse 20, and then verses 23 through 24. Listen to this. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He, the Lord, he makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence 
the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a pathless waste. It is this sign, the removal of wisdom from both common people and leaders in our society that is always found in societies under God's wrath. In the city of Sodom, the men were so utterly perverted in their thinking that even after the angels of God struck them with blindness, they wearied themselves as they grasped for the door to Lot's house so that they, so that they could rape the men inside. That is a depraved mind. And yet in our own society, there are people so given over to sexual perversion that even after they contract a deadly disease, they look for ways to continue their behavior. And many not only excuse their behavior, but they even celebrate their abominations. It is fitting that they call their celebratory days and weeks and months and parades by the same moniker, pride. Because in the end, it certainly is about pride, isn't it? And unless they repent, the wrath of God will become very much more real to them. In ancient days, the Ammonites and the Canaanites worshipped a god named Molech. They made bronze images of Molech. And they heated up the arms red hot. Living children were either placed in Molech's red hot arms or they were rolled into a fire pit below. This occurred in the Hinnom Valley just outside of old Jerusalem. And because of this, the valley, the valley itself became associated with hell. It became known as Gehenna. Later, those were Israel's neighbors. But later, the evil king Manasseh killed his own son as a sacrifice. As did King Ahaz. And then the people of Judah participated in the same sin against their own children. And the Lord said that this was such a detestable act that it had never even crossed his mind. And it was one of the reasons that God sent his people captive to Babylon. This is a people given over to a depraved mind. And yet in our society, there are people so given over to removing themselves from the responsibility of their actions that they sacrifice a living baby in the womb and give no thought about it. In fact, some women have started to celebrate their abortion on social media, encouraging others to join them in killing their children. We even have politicians now calling for post-birth abortions, calling for infanticide. And if I was in a joking mood, I would call it a fourth trimester abortion. It is depravity. Absolute depravity. Now I want to be very clear about a few things. First, it might sound like I am passing judgment on people who have issues that I don't have. And that is not true. 
I am not in a position to judge anyone. I am as guilty of sin, of sin against God as anyone who might hear this message, and I, I do not condemn anyone. I am simply the messenger. I am warning you personally, and I'm warning our society generally of the need to repent of sin and seek the mercy of the Lord. It is my responsibility to proclaim the coming judgment of God to those who are sinners and the mercy of God to those who would repent. If you have had an abortion or have participated in an abortion, God extends forgiveness and healing to you. If you have engaged in homosexual activities, God extends healing and forgiveness to you. If you are a Baptist hypocrite who calls down judgment upon people that engage in such things and yet do the same yourself, blind and deaf and dumb to your own sin, God extends forgiveness and healing to you. But in every instance, repentance is required. You must repent of your lack of faith in God and you must believe in Him. The second thing I want you to know is that I want to make it clear what we, as God's people, should do since we are living in a society that is under the wrath of God. First, we must be faithful to God. Make no mistake about it. It is a simple choice. You obey Him or you don't. We must obey God in everything that we know to obey God about. We must be faithful with our behavior. And if you mess up, if you're tempted by your flesh and you do something you know you shouldn't have done, confess it to God and start walking with Him again. But be faithful in your behavior. You need to be faithful with your finances. Not only supporting God's work through His church, but faithful with every financial principle that God shares in his word. And I would say that you need to be faithful with church attendance. Church attendance is seen as optional these days. I would say that if we're living in a society under the wrath of God, it ought to be ever more uh, we ought to be ever more diligent to be in church every single Sunday. We need one another. We need to hear the word of God now more than ever before or else we will find ourselves swept away. One reason faithful church attendance is so important is because that any time God's Word is faithfully taught and preached, there is the opportunity for God Himself to speak to you. But if you allow other things to take you away from church, even good things, but if you've just gotten in the habit of missing church here and missing church there, you may in actuality be allowing other things to draw you away from God. Not only do we need to be faithful in these things, but we as God's people need to fear God. We need to fear God. If we want our society to fear God, then we need to model that. Fearing God begins with respecting God. But it goes far beyond respecting God. 
I hear Christians say, well, to fear God doesn't really mean to be afraid of Him. It just means to respect Him. I respect God, but I'm not afraid of God. Listen, if there's not something about God that makes you afraid and fearful, then you don't get it. Then you don't understand Him. I mean, the God and the Creator and the Sustainer and the Judge of this universe holds not only your life in His very hands, but the lives of your children. The lives of your grandchildren. The lives of your loved ones. They're in his hands. And this doesn't cause you to blink. Doesn't cause you to consider how awesome God is and how you ought to cry out for the souls of the people that you love. The God who is so holy and unapproachable that no one, no one can come to him unless that person is first drawn to him. You don't cry out to him to have mercy on your children and your grandchildren who don't yet know him. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, when the man Uzzah reached toward the ark of God and took hold of it to balance it because it was about to stumble off of the oxen and fall and hit the ground. And God because he is so holy, struck him dead right there. Because he dared to touch the ark of God. There's nothing unholy about the ground. God made that ground. What's unholy is his hand. Uzzah's hand. And he dared to violate the holiness of God. That God causes you no fear whatsoever. In Acts chapter 5, you might say, oh, that's Old Testament. Acts chapter 5 is an Old Testament. It's New Testament. When Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offerings to the church. God struck them dead. And the Bible says, and a great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. In Luke chapter 1, when the godly man Zacharias encountered an angel when he was alone in the temple of God, He was afraid of the angel. That was an angel. That wasn't even God. And he was afraid. When Judas Iscariot and the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, Whom do you seek? And they said, We seek Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus replied, I am. And at the moment that he said, I am, the Bible records that all of these men fell back on the ground. You don't fear that Jesus, who by his very words have the power to knock people off their feet. When Jesus returns, Revelation 19 describes him this way. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I see that coming at me. You bet I'm afraid. That's the Lord. It says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in white linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen, if you don't fear the highest spiritual power and authority that there is, if you don't fear the one who holds the power of heaven and hell in his hands, if you don't fear the one who is more powerful than Satan himself, if you don't fear the one who will judge all people and ultimately destroy death itself, then your view of God is too low and your view of yourself is too high. When we regain a fear of God, it will become evident in our actions and it will become evident in our prayers. We are called in the midst of a society that is under the wrath of God, we are called to be salt and light to this world. But if the light has grown dark and the salt has lost its flavor, well, the light is of no use and the salt is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's Jesus' words talking about his people. Have we, the church of God in the United States, become so good for nothing that we ought to be just trampled underfoot? It might happen. It might happen before you know it. We need to get back to being serious about God, even fearful, praying to Him, First for ourselves, because judgment begins in the house of God, and then for our society.